Hello, everybody. It's uh, Kirk Henderson and Josh Bowe, your two uh, people in charge of MavsMoneyBall.com now. Uh, we're coming to you on, what is it? It's Thursday night. It's the uh, uh, April 30th, right before May. We've somehow all been stuck in our houses like seven-ish weeks now. Uh, I wanted to come back twice in one week, not because um, we really love talking to each other, though. I actually do miss talking to Josh. <laughs> Um, but also because, you know, the Fox Sports Southwest is doing this really cool um, rewatch uh, and that I can't see of all the Maz victories. And Josh has picked out uh, a couple of games from the entire run that he wants to focus on and watching them as if he's, you know, analyzing them for the first time. Um, Josh, before we jump right into uh, game two of the Mavs Lakers, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. I think I've mostly settled into a rhythm with the current state of things, but of course my rhythm is decidedly easier than yourself as you have child, but so my, my schedule is a little easier to, to do day to day. So I feel like I'm kind of getting off easy right now. Well, that's okay because here's the thing. <laughs> you and I both have the kind of jobs where it has become very evident that not only do we do our jobs, we do our jobs well. And I'm going to talk a little shit for a moment. And one of my favorite things about this whole, you know, uh, quarantine thing is it becomes really evident in a company, particularly if you work for like a white collar company, it becomes really evident who doesn't have anything to do. <laughs> and watching those people, particularly if they're above you on like the, the hierarchical company flowchart, freak out is incredible because they know they don't have anything to do. They know they don't have any value and they're just worried they're going to get caught. But that's an aside. Um, <laughs> let's jump right into uh, to this Mavs. Uh, Lakers 2011 series talk to me about what it was like to watch those games again because those games hold a special place in my heart yeah uh, and mine too that was you know the Lakers series I think for most of us dialed that were dialed in back then I, I feel like that was a series we all knew like oh this is this is not a normal playoff run like this is this is different uh, you know I know Bob Sturm of DFW radio that's that was basically the title of his book about the 2011 Mavs uh, and it, and it was just it was just so true and so evident. And the thing about rewatching Game Two was they destroyed them. Like the Lakers kind of kept it within like six points for most of the game until the fourth quarter. But like when you're watching that game, it never it never felt like a threat. Like the Mavericks were just kind of always one step ahead. And mm -hmm. to think that the Lakers were a two-time champions with, you know, a roster relatively intact with good players at, at the time. It's, you know, they didn't have any injured, like major injuries. And it, it was just kind of wild. Like the Lakers, I think, were probably everyone's favorite to at least make it to the finals from the West that season, I think. Uh, and for the Mavericks to just kind of throw them out to the curb like garbage was pretty fun to revisit. Well, so here's what I remember. What I remember in game one is, and really from the early games, is that the Lakers hung tight enough that it really felt like a series. Was that the feeling in the game, knowing the outcome, or did the Mavs, I mean, the, the which game was it that, that Corey Brewer basically saved their lives? Was that, that was, game one? Yeah, that was game one. I didn't, I didn't rewatch game one, but yeah, that remembering that game and the highlights, that one was a little bit of a fluky win because you had the Corey Brewer stuff. I think they were down like 24 
points. Uh, Kobe missed a wide open three at the buzzer to win the game. And I remember going into game two, I definitely was like, okay, they, they stole the win that they needed to steal. Who cares? They're going to come back to 1-1 home court advantage in game three. So game two in my head, when I remember at the time watching it, I was like, this is like house money. Like, who cares? And this was the game, I think, that kind of established their dominance. Like, this was not fluky. This was not game one. This was, they were fairly in control. It wasn't, you know, a double digit lead until the end. And like you said, the Lakers did hang around because, you know, they were still talented, you know. By, uh, Andrew Bynum before he fell apart and Paul Gasol and Kobe and, and Lamar Odom, you know, they still had some monster players, uh, but the Mavericks just kind of seemingly had a counter for everything they threw at them. Uh, the thing that surprised me the most was, you know, when you think about that Lakers series, the thought process is like the changing of the guard in terms of styles, like the Mavericks were kind of the first, you know, of the modern era, like three point shooting kind of champion. And, you know, they have the Mother's Day game where they hit 19 threes. And you kind of think about they just kind of ran the Lakers off the floor with, you know, three-point shooting and modern spacing and stuff. But game two, the Mavs were 8 of 25 from three, so not great. Way better than the Lakers. They were 2 of 20. The Lakers didn't hit a three-pointer until 2.44 left in the fourth quarter. And the Mavs' defense just kicked the shit out of them. Like, that's the part that I kind of forget. Like, we talk about the Mavs offense and Dirk and, like, the three-pointers, but their defense, when they were locked in with Tyson, with Marion, uh, with Kidd, with Deshaun Stevenson, with Brendan Haywood off the bench, um, that they locked – they could lock shit down. And that was very impressive. And Dirk was, like, playing very good defense for for him. And it was just – it was kind of a clinic. Like, the Lakers really couldn't do anything. They kind of relied – you know, they rely on uh, Bynum and and Gasol and Odom kind of brute-forcing their way at the rim and then Kobe kind of doing Kobe things. And, you know, Kobe was okay, but – Haywood and Chandler and Dirk just put the clamps on Gasol, Odom, and Bynum for the most part. Uh, and the Lakers didn't have any other counters out of that. The Lakers were kind of, I think they were kind of thin on the wing that year. I mean, they started Derek Fisher, for Christ's sake, at guard still. Uh, yeah. Meta, that was Meta World Peace kind of on his way out. And man, look, I'm going to read some names off the bench who played minutes in that game too. They played four players off the bench. One was Odom, and the other guys were Matt Barnes, Stephen Blake, and Shannon Brown. Uh, so you're right, Woof. and none of yeah. So they just did not have a lot of perimeter creativity past Kobe, uh, and that sunk them. The well, just kind of locked them up. So I have like four questions for you coming up. Okay. That. So one, what what was Dallas like? Like. <sighs> So to, these two questions are really interrelated. So the, the first thing is that, so I just looked this up. In the series, the Lakers shot 15 of 76 from distance. <laughs> like, that's 19%. That's bad in four games. Um, but it also plays directly into the Mavs' defense. Was it more the Lakers didn't have shooting, or did the Maverick, like, what were the Mavericks doing to lock them down? I think it was they were kind of, I think it's a combination of both. Uh, the Lakers just didn't have anyone very threatening. Like past Kobe, you know, Marion was on Kobe, but like when you have kid, who's just a crafty defender, like what is Derek Fisher, you know, at that age going to do against Jason Kidd? Like what is Shannon Brown or Steve Blake? 
Like, how are they going to dribble past a, a Jason Kidd, who even though he was very old, he was still a quality defender, or Deshaun Stevenson? You know, what are those guards going to do against Tyson Chandler and Brendan Haywood at the rim? Uh, I think the fact that not a lot of team, you know, it was still bully ball a little bit back then. Like Bynum and Gasol is still like a, back then. That is a pretty formidable front. I mean, they won two championships right. in a row. Like right. that, they were good. They were unbelievably yeah. good. They just destroyed people in the paint. Yeah. And so when you, the Mavs just surprisingly just, you know, they had three, seven footers. They had Chandler, they had Haywood and they had Dirk and Dirk was on a slouch guarding Gasol. That's probably the biggest surprise of the series. And I think, Things came out after that series that Gasol was not in a very good headspace. I think he had a lot of personal stuff going on in mm-hmm. his life at that time. Yep. So understandably wasn't playing well. But also like the fact that Gasol couldn't score on Dirk, like that almost felt like the series, really. Like because yeah. that that was their biggest quote unquote advantage. Like they couldn't make Dirk work on the defensive end and they weren't getting points from Gasol. And then Dirk was just kind of free to light them up on the other end. I have a Pau Gasol stat I want to end the Lakers conversation with, but I'm not going to share it just quite yet. Pau Gasol is a historically underrated big. I think Mavs mm-hmm. fans probably have a little bit of disdain for him, but his career has just been outstanding. If not, if Dirk didn't exist, he'd probably be considered the greatest Euro European basketball player to ever play in the NBA. He's that good. Um, what did so you had a great tidbit in your story about you know, young Josh thinking Brendan Haywood was, was terrible. And I think <laughs> that I, I almost hope that when this whole thing is done, you maybe put something together on Brendan Haywood because like, what were you seeing from him? Because he, he was just like his 2011 was really interesting for the Mavericks. Yeah. Cause I remember there was the free throw shooting. I don't have the numbers up, but I remember him just being like a God awful three point shoot uh, free throw shooter that year. And, you know, he was just, it just, he had that huge bloated contract and Tyson was playing Mm. so well. But the thing is, in the two games I've watched, uh, the Portland game five in this game, uh, he played what, like a total under 40 minutes and he has five blocks in those two games and like 16 rebounds. Yeah. And like, he was just, he was just fantastic at the, at the, at the rim, uh, guarding the rim. And I think coming off the bench was especially helpful because like, think of the Lakers reserves, like, yeah they had nothing and Haywood was just very, you know, maybe he was overwhelmed as a starter, but he was really, you know, that season at that time of his career, I know he kind of petered out after that, but in that moment he was overqualified for a backup center. Like he could have probably started at center for a lot of different teams that Mm -hmm. season. So it was just a luxury where the Mavs just kept rotating. Like either Tyson or Haywood was on the floor for a majority of the playoff games till he got hurt. I think in the heat series. And that was just a luxury teams didn't have. Like, you know, the Lakers had Odom come off the bench, but that's not really, he wasn't really, you know, the classic rim defender. And you look at all the other teams, like the Heat had, God, the Heat were awful at, at center next to Bosch. They had like Joel Anthony and I think they signed Eric Dampier, but when he was already, you know, kind of washed up and, you know, back then it wasn't five out ball yet and centers mattered and the Mavs had two solid ones and that for 48 minutes, they always had a rim protector on the floor and Haywood was great. That's really something to think back about that. The last last Laker Mavericks, you know, related question that at least from game two, you know, we all remember uh, uh, JJ Bray getting clotheslined by Andrew Bynum, (laughs) but you, you wrote and you you wrote a quick uh, section and then you posted a video just about how, about how impressive Bray was. And, you know, just to, to toss you some stats 
from what he did in his time. Let's see here. J.J. Barea in the four games, he only he played 72 minutes and went 17 of 34 from the floor, which, you know, like he's five foot 11. And he, <laughs> with all those tall guys, he shot 50% from the field. I mean, he just must have driven the Lakers crazy. Yeah, uh, and it was really the fourth quarter of this game, too. It kind of felt like, oh, my God, I'm sorry. Stupid ESPN auto-playing videos <laughs> on their damn box scores driving me up a wall. Um, there, It was really watching that fourth quarter with him. He played most of it, and that was like the window opening for modern basketball. Like every possession just about when J.J. was on the floor, it was high pick and roll, you know, pat extended past the three-point line with three shooters spaced beyond the three-point line and a, and a big in the dunker spot. And it was just high dirk pick and roll, drag the, you know, help away from the, from the rim, put the big man in island in the paint because, you know, whether it was Bynum or whether it was Gasol, Neither of them wanted to step out and guard a three-point line. So basically, Jerk's setting a screen. And when JJ's coming off that screen around the three-point line, he has like six feet in front of him. And he Mm -hmm. just manipulated that space masterfully, like we see now. Like every possession and every single team of the NBA does this. Like it's the bread and butter. And it was just kind of cool to see the game transform. Because up until then, it was, you know, kind of a back-and-forth, kind of grindy, slow, you know, isolation kind of game. And to watch Berea kind of dissect them using the blueprint that would become the blueprint for just about every successful NBA team for the next decade, for the most part, uh, it was it was really cool. Like uh, he got he got two layups, he got fouled at the rim, he found a Terry for a three uh, three point make, had a hockey assist for another three point make, uh, and he just he made the Lakers look like they were playing in quicksand. Uh, he was that impressive, and I don't think he was that. What that was his one, two, three. He was twenty six. He was twenty six. That's basically the yeah. that, that was basically his prime. That that was his fifth season, and you know mm-hmm. he that was basically like his third year in terms of being like a real rotation player. So, yeah, that was like that was big. That was a big series for him. I mean, no one. I mean, even us. Like I know Matt outside of Mass fans, you know, he was not. You know, that was his breaking out moment, and that game was kind of his moment as well. I think. Right. Are you covering any more games from this series, or are we just kind of moving on to the uh, the Oklahoma uh, Thunder we're, series? We're moving on to Oklahoma because I'm basically doing one game per series. Okay. That like the most underheralded game from each series. Sure. Uh, just the because most, they're the replaying other ones are more covered. Yeah, because yes. even I remember I remember the other game four really well. That was that was pretty exciting. Well, before we close out here, I I have a pair of stats which I have held on to and I talk about every now and again. But every time I say them, it's just so ridiculous. First, it's really crazy that as often as the Mavericks made the playoffs from two, the it was like I mean it's basically like a fourteen year stretch, something like that. That's the only time the Mavericks and Lakers played each other in the playoffs. The yeah. Only series, which I'm on one part happy about because in the early 2000s, the Mavs were basically built to like they're, you know, the 2002 to 2003 team has like seven guys that can give Shaq five or six fouls each. <laughs> um, it's it's they're, they're horrified of the Lakers, but they never met in the playoffs, which is really wild. But understanding that, I like throwing in Lakers fans' faces that Kobe Bryant was never able to beat Dirk Nowitzki in a playoff basketball game. Um, there's, I may Check have to go back. Me. Yeah, well, I may have to go link this. There's an incredible, uh, like, it's either funny or die or college humor video of a guy 
talking like like who plays Kobe and he's like the post game press conferences and it's just like to this day I'll watch it when I'm in a bad mood and it's you know because Kobe's press conferences even after game four where he'll just be like if we could grab a rebound not naming names pow Lamar it's just like (laughs) such a great impression and then the other one that I really liked is like poor Pau Gasol again Hall of Fame player he went oh oh and eight against Dirk in his playoff career. I just I looked it up while you were talking. And oh, like, that's right. Because the only other time they played was when he was Memphis. Memphis. And, and they were the eight. I think they were no. They weren't an eight seed, but they were they were a lower seed. Well, I mean the the the, the sad little detail. Powell's Memphis thing is like not only did he not ever beat Dirk, he didn't win a playoff game when he was in Memphis. Like they got oh. blanked every single time. Yeah, I remember <laughs> they were always like an eight, seven, six seed too. They just mm-hmm. yeah, they were never like a complete team. But uh, that's right, game. that's right. Okay, so Josh and I'll be back with a couple more things after a break. Uh, thanks for sticking with us. Hello, everybody. It's Josh and Kirk here with Maz Moneyball After Dark. You probably wonder why we won't stick with the podcast name. Well, it's because we don't have to, and all these show up in the same feed, and y'all have to deal with it. <laughs> um, There were a couple of pieces of news that I actually wanted to hit on before we get on out of here. So, first... Actually, we're just gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna acknowledge why I'm not acknowledging a piece of news. Like LeBron on on today basically talked about how he's not heard anybody talking about wanting to cancel the season after there was some news about how teams uh, teams and executives are preparing to cancel the season. There's so much stuff up in the air right now, and I just want to say that it personally drives me crazy that none of these guys will admit reality i had a one really nice guy who's actually a doctor man knows more about this than me messaged me today and he's like why do you feel this way about it it's like well if the the if the notion is we're gonna we're gonna open up game and and play games if we have enough testing and then there isn't enough testing and we can't figure out how to get enough testing i don't want to talk about basketball then we're not there yet anyhow i know i know i'm right there with you just me being I feel involved. like we we've said this on every single podcast. We have, time. and you know, I, I, let's <laughs> talk about that real quick from a very selfish point of view. <laughs> okay, I love. I am like I am part of why I wanted this this editor in chief job is I am an organization freak. It's how I live my life. It's how I'm able to do this with a job and with a four-year-old and other stuff. I like organizing. Organizing is fun. And for me, it's super weird. You know, I play games like I play Fallout 4 and then I like build settlements instead of playing the game. And (laughs) it's, it's one of these things where if we know what's happening next, I can plan for it. If we know, okay, hey, the season's over, so we can write player reviews, then we can go on to draft stuff, and we don't have to, you know, pull content out of our rears. Like, that's that's kind of where I am with it. That's, yeah, that's I, neither here nor there. Yeah. That said, we actually did have a couple of pieces of content this week that were pretty funny to me. The first is that earlier this week, we found out that a Luka Doncic-inspired Air Jordan 1 was coming out, and it came out today. You, of all people loved the shoe and that was that just really tickles me for some reason because you're not a shoe guy i'm not a shoe guy but i like this i don't know i think i think it's the fact that they were pretty they're pretty clean yes. like there's i think that's that that's what appealed to me and i like yeah. the the green and the purple like they it just looked good together 
this is a really stupid thing, but like I'm a I'm a large man, but I have skinny ankles, and so like something about that like Air Jordan, like the the original ones, like freak me out because if I have a shoe that goes all the way up past my ankle, all it does is point out that I don't have any calves or anything, and it just makes me look stupid. Um, <laughs> very inside baseball though. They sold out today. I think within a matter of hours, uh, a number of various Mavs Twitter people were super excited to either get them or then pay the retail or the reseller fee oh, because, like there's no. like 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 chris henderson covers this like the, the the shoe market is it's it's like the drug market there it's it's crazy the kind of economics that go into these shoes and reselling and like i got into it late in life but thankfully i only have a penchant for ugly shoes so everything i like is like cheap um <laughs> it, it's pretty nice in that respect um, the last real piece of, of Luka Doncic news was something that the ESPN put out, uh, it was, it was, uh, Tim Bontemps of, uh, Ben, Tim Bontemps, God, Bontemps, whatever, however, I know Tim, he's my friend. Um, however the heck you say his name, last name, put out this kind of a uh, story that centered around, uh, an anonymous poll of 20 front office people about who you'd like to lead your franchise with Luka, Ja Morant, Zion Williamson, or Trey Young. Uh, Luca got 17 of the 20 votes like it was a runaway like almost nothing burger of a story but they made content out of it anyways which respect but it had some lines in it <laughs> that I, I I wanted to read and then get your reactions to mm-hmm. so the first line I'm going to read to you is from a, is from the Mina Kimes profile that she put out in April of 2018 which was on an ESPN the magazine which was essentially a a American coming out party for Luka Doncic for people who didn't know who he was and the quote goes like this Um, While Doncic is hardly plotting, he isn't exceptionally physical or quick. Quote, his body is physically mature, so you worry about how much more it can change, how much upside he can have, says one front office staffer. So that was April 2018, and that was really prevalent in the draft stuff going up to it because Luka just looked like crap by the end of his season. Then we have uh, an anonymous G, or so then we have from from Tim's story, quote, I don't know if Luka can be any better than he is. An Eastern Conference executive said, he's really good, but I think this might be who he is, which is very good, end quote. And I had to write a whole story about this because it's just so ludicrous. Like, that's why the Eastern Conference sucks. I know. Tell me, tell me your thoughts. No, I know. I think I tweeted when that came out, you know, it was, we're all dying for content. We're, we're if you, if anyone knows the SpongeBob episode where he's trying to, live or be in sandy's house with no water and he's dying and he's looking at the glass of water like that is everyone on nba twitter right now when something some some semblance of a story comes along yes Uh, so i saw it and then so i think i said something flip like i don't give a rat's ass about once what some shitty detroit pistons exec thinks about luca in the jv league in the east because it's true like I'm so over that kind of stuff. And like, I'm so, I like I'm, that take. I'm so down for talking about like Luca's improvements and hell I've written enough about things that I, I want him to improve on, but there's just so many ways to take that statement and be like, Oh, he's, he can't get any better than he is. And it's like, okay, well if he actually does stay where he is, you realize that's 28, nine and nine every season in first team all NBA. <laughs> like, and then the and then it's ludicrous to just think that he will never improve because obviously 
you look at where he was in Europe and then NBA and now second year and like the leaps he is taking are crazy. But, so, but yeah. okay, let's play devil's advocate. Let's say he doesn't improve at all. He is an all NBA right. first team player. So what are we even talking about? I need I to have, uh, gosh, there's one of the guys, there's a couple of guys in a different Slack channel I'm in. Um, my, my friend James who writes for CBS is just like, I don't, he's like, I think he's a top five player. I still like, you guys know me. I love Luca. This is not a question. I got into an argument the other day with a, a follower who listens to this pod. I, I was mean to him. I was having a bad day. I shouldn't have done this. Um, if you're listening, I'm sorry, my man, um, about how, like, like, uh, he was, you know, basically telling me that I'm way too nice to Luca and he's probably right, but I also still think I'm pretty critical of Luca. I place Luca in my top 15. When I say that to people, I kind of get yelled at. Like, what do you mean? He's in the MVP race. Well, MVP and best player kind of different discussion. MVP and like, like rankings are different discussions to me because Luca's extremely important to the Mavericks, but he also doesn't play any defense and he also shoots 32% from three. So I'm kind of curious how he can be in some people's like top five. If he's, you know, he doesn't do aspects of the game, you know, where are you on that sort of stuff? No, I agree with you. And MVP, like how much of MVP is just narrative. Like that's a big part of that award. And that doesn't necessarily always reflect. I mean, they try to, but you know, the narrative doesn't always necessarily mean you're unequivocally one of the five best players in the league. It's just kind of like of the season and that kind of, you know, just kind of the story of the season in a way that's, that's part of it. But yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. Like I think he's top 15 and, I, you know, maybe he can be some days he's higher and some, maybe some days I feel like maybe he might be a little lower, but like, to me, it's like, I'm not even like, he hasn't even finished two full NBA seasons. So right. I like the ranking stuff. I like, we have to, like, that's what people do. They just, they talk about this yeah. stuff. But for me, it's like, I want to see him in the playoffs and then we'll go from there. And I'm just, I don't know. I'm not, I think seeing what he did going from his rookie year to his second year, I think I didn't really have any, doubts but in terms of like it really opened my eyes to like his work ethic and i know it was already there but like it was just nice confirmation to know that this guy is very competitive and will do what it it takes to get better like he improved so much at the rim from from first year to second year that like i know he's gonna take another aspect maybe it's gonna be the three-point shooting and be okay i'm gonna make this better and over an off season and so yeah, I don't know. That's just kind of I it's just it's just weird. I just he's so young still that you know, I'm not going to be one of those guys that's like, "Oh, he's he's the MVP and he's, you know, a top 3 player." But I'm also not going to be like, "Oh, well, let's, you know, he's, you know, he he's got he's reached his ceiling." Like there's a middle ground here that is boring <laughs> like to talk yeah. about, but that's kind of where I'm at. Well, that actually prompts a a different discussion on Twitter. Now, I tend to stay away from, you know, I, Twitter and social media in general is really one of these things where you have to split the difference between following people you agree, at least this is my philosophy. You have to split the difference between following people you agree with and then keeping yourself relatively informed. Now that comes like, like big picture world issues, but on basketball related stuff, I've really limited things because I just don't feel like arguing with people all the time. That said, when folks like make me aware of different arguments that are or discussions that are happening on Twitter, I want to know about it. And one of the things I stumbled across 
was you know it was a podcast or as a discussion and then a, then it turned into a podcast with like kendrick perkins and some of these these guys you know i don't want to be disrespectful it's it's the real ballers twitter you know the guys that low-key don't like um uh that have that have issues with the fact that a guy that looks like a tall fat blogger is like kicking the crap out of the nba like it's it's people like that <laughs> that really can't they can't reconcile luca's you know uh, uh, performance with what they know, and like part of me understands that because I might be there with them. Because some days it doesn't make any sense to me. Anyways, there was a discussion really centering around the fact of can you know why are we crowning Luca? How why are we even talking about this? The style of basketball he plays doesn't work in the playoffs, which I think is a really interesting discussion if you can get past the stupid points because. <laughs> There, there's some, you know, the fact is it really hasn't worked for James Harden, but has it not worked for James Harden because the Rockets have had a couple of epic collapses? Has it not worked for, for teams that do it this way for a variety of reasons? I personally am at the point in my evolution of watching the Mavericks to where I really have to, I, I, I tend to agree with how Luca plays. I'm really not sure it translates to the playoffs, but I still want to see it. I don't want to crap on it before it happens. Does that make sense? Right. Like uh, he, he's not going to know till he knows, right? Like you're, mm-hmm. he's, you're not going to learn more about what he needs to do to evolve and adapt his game until we actually see it. And maybe we're getting a sneak preview without, crappy the Mavs have been in the clutch this year maybe that's kind of where some of it comes from because it's basically the closest you can excuse me the closest you can get to playoff basketball in in a regular season game so maybe that's part of it but yeah I just I kind of just want to see it and we know he's going to need to improve on some things like he just has to be a better three-point shooter you know he has to be a little bit tighter with his shot selection and the funny part about it is like, well, we're having this debate. You ask Luca after every game, and you read his post-game quotes, and he's always like, yeah, I settled for too many threes. I didn't do this. I didn't go to the rim. I wasn't aggressive enough. So he's like already saying these things, which is kind of funny because like, you know, when you're trying to debate this stuff and be like, well, he needs to do this and this. And it's like, well, he's actually, you know, he's, it's not like he's rebelling against this. It's just he's 21 years old and he it takes a little bit sometimes. I mean, we're probably spoiled because we expect everything now to come with him super fast because he's done so many, so many other crazy things within the first, you know, season and three-fourths of his career. Yeah. Well, that actually draws two things that I've been thinking about is first – you know, I can remember at least three games where Dorian Finney-Smith, you know, hit an unbelievable should have been a dagger three that the Mavericks ended up losing because they can't play defense. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, you know, first, how much do winning like those sorts of games change this overall narrative? Because I think it really does. The second thing, and I need, this is the thing that just doesn't get acknowledged by the, well, the Mavericks need to play differently if they're going to win in the playoffs they don't make the playoffs if Luca doesn't dominate the ball. Like that is, it's just a fact. The team mm-hmm. is not that good. I know this makes our fans mad. There's a difference between having an unbelievable offense and being good. They're not good. They are hilariously mediocre because they have a number one offense and like 22 ranked defense. You cannot do that. I mean, you and I, uh, this is a different discussion for a different day, but their defensive scheme sucks. And, you know, (laughs) 
Like you pair you pair a bad defensive scheme with bad defensive players, you're going to have a bad defense. It's not that complicated. And so, like this whole conversation wraps back into, you know, uh, it's it's partially why why discussions of you know top ten, top fifteen, whatever kind of players is stupid because it's still a team game. I just need to see I I need to see them lose in the playoffs. Like if if they would have made the playoffs this year and gotten murder death killed by the Clippers, I would have learned nothing because the Clippers are designed to beat the Lakers and the Mavericks are a less good version of the Lakers. <laughs> You're right. The and the it's you know the same two like two superstars who play really well, only the Lakers players are better. Like this right. is not <laughs> Yep. And yeah, and it's it was just watching four or five games of Kawhi and Paul George just kind of wrecking havoc. Man, that's just such a that's such a crappy matchup for the Mavs. It's all it's almost like a blessing and a curse that you know we want to see the playoffs, but that that would have those games would have gotten ugly. I think uh, we would. Do you know how mad our podcast would have been because there oh was that first God. Clippers. That first, did you go to the first Clippers game where Luca didn't do media afterwards? He was so mad because he played <sighs> so terribly. I might have been. I can't remember now. Too many brain I mean, cells have lost. Been lost. The Clippers are the Clippers are just a buzzsaw. Yes. The, you know all that is the Lakers. 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 Lakers beat the crap out of them. The Lakers dominated those games. Or I'm sorry, the Clippers dominated the games they played. The Lakers, except for the one, mm-hmm. and and they lost in the end because things don't always go right. That's fine. This is it's a it's a very it's such a funny thing to me. It's it's <laughs> Luca is going to be so good. And the thing that that I'm just so curious about is can he pick up in the areas where it's been defined? And you look at him and you look at his body of work, you look backwards. And the answer is, well, he keeps getting better. But then you look at where he's bad, and I just don't understand how he actually improves those. Like, I don't know how you tell him to pay attention on defense. Because he, you know, it's 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 he he's terrible. Like <laughs> Like he's really is. He's bad. And then, you know, on the three point stuff, you're right. He keeps talking about it. And then he also keeps taking the shots. Yeah, so he like, keeps doing it. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that scared me was his, his Europe number three point shooting numbers are not that great either. And so I'm just wondering, like, is he just not actually a great three point shooter? But I, that seems like a really like wild take. So I, I guess just give him more time. And then the defense thing, you just hope that, you know, he's so he, he's smart. Like he knows the game of basketball so well, you know, especially on the offensive end, you just hope that it becomes like a Dirk thing where it just kind of, he is just smart enough to just at least know where to be at the right time. And at his size, like he's big for a perimeter player that mm-hmm. that might be all he needs to know is just positioning and being in the right place at the right time. And that might be all that all it really takes. And maybe he can get to that. You know, he's never going to be like a flying around the court lockdown guy, obviously, but if he can just, just you know, like he said, pay attention, that's kind of all he needs. Cause he's, you know, a big body. So it's not like he's going to get, you know, bully balled a lot in, in isolation matchups. Sure. I mean, I, I could be misremembering this just because it's been 6,000 weeks since we have basketball, but there were some games late in the year where Luca was like actually catching and shooting that made me so stinking happy. <laughs> and I'm wondering if like that, cause he, it's just a habit with him. There's a, there's a, a, a post that I've been meaning to do. And, and it's, it's funny. This is, this conversation has reminded me about it. Uh, someone did a video about his bi- biomechanics that I kind of want to post and discuss because 
he's just so comfortable stepping back. Like that's his comfort zone, but I'm very comfortable yelling curse words in the office, but that doesn't mean I should do it. And, and that's really kind of the thing with Luca where he needs to develop a different, a different comfort zone, but God, you and I could talk about this forever. You know, it's funny. <laughs> I, I keep telling Josh on our texts, we're only going to talk for 20, 25 minutes and it's well past half an hour. Um, I got one more thing I want to bother you about just because I'm curious. What are you doing? Like, what are you doing with yourself these days? What am I? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I get off work and we eat dinner and then I probably play video games. I have not been watching like any TV outside what of games. The, the, what are we playing? Uh, well, when I wrapped up doom eternal and I wrapped up Ori and the will of the wisps, which are both quality games. I think I talked about them earlier. Mm-hmm. What am I playing now? I'm just playing like multiplayer games with my friends. Like I'm playing call of duty, playing a lot of rocket league. I'm playing, this game that shouldn't be good, but it's on the game on game Xbox Game Pass, so it's like, why not? Let's just try it. And it's this, it's World War Z, and it's based off like the the movie, not the book, but it's like not even really based off the movie, but it's basically just like Left for Dead. It's basically just four Love player. It. I know it's like four player co op. Start run through a, a level and and survive zombies and shoot zombies. And I'm like, well, this is actually kind of cool, and it's funny because the movie's kind of shitty. Yep. Uh, so I've been playing that, um, and what else? I've been playing, oh, I've been playing, I just started playing, uh, it just came out, it's called Gears Tactics. It's a gear. It's a game in the Gears of War universe, it's on PC only, but do you know those like XCOM strategy games? Yes, you, yeah, yeah, I, I've turn- been talking to somebody playing XCOM 2 who like gets really into it and super angry and keeps telling me he accidentally stays up until like 3 in the morning playing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're these like turn-based tactic uh, strategy kind of action games, and they basically just took the Gears of War universe and made an XCOM like within it, and it's kind of cool because uh, if you played Gears of War, it's like very much like cover and moving from cover to cover and popping and shooting guys, which is kind of like what these XCOM games are: moving guys in and out of cover and, and flanking and shooting guys, and it's really fun. Like they give it like a gear spin, so it's like a way more aggressive. They sure. give you like more opportunities to make more moves within a single turn before it's the enemy's time. And I've never really gotten into these games, but I'm I'm enjoying it a lot. Uh, and it's another game, God, like a company, man. It's another game on Game Pass that I probably wouldn't have paid $60 for, but part of my $10 month subscription, why not? And uh, I'm enjoying it a lot. You are the fifth different person in my life to recommend Game Pass. <laughs> and every person that has done so is extremely different in terms of just people like their personalities the things they like the things like their you know the 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 how they like their jobs and but everybody who love like who signs up for game pass seems to love it i have yet to do it just because i don't want to get divorced i'm already like <laughs> i just because i would i would dabble be like you know what i don't need to come to bed tonight and then i'm playing a game till two in the morning i'm very i will say that the thing if you don't play games, you're probably already annoyed with us. But I will say, like, the the social aspect of being online with your friends is what is feeling very good right now. Because you're like me. You're at home with your wife. I've run out of stuff to talk about with my wife. Like, we're kind of, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, we're making it through each day. We're trying not to get on each other's nerves. And then hopping on and talking to other people is really therapeutic while playing a game. It's nice. I am doing very different. I'm still playing a ton of Sea of Thieves because a couple of people that I play with 
decided to do the story missions with me and they really like rare is rare owned by xbox now Yeah, they're owned by microsoft yep okay so that explains how this game has some of the most preposterous features that you would only play if you really get into it like i have and the game mechanics are super cool but you wouldn't know it because you got to play it a ton or you got to you know you really have to like set out on a mission I've, I've had a good time doing that I will say some things I've watched that are really interesting. My wife made me watch The Marvelous Miss Maisel on uh, Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. And it took until the very last scene of the first episode where I'm like, why are we watching this? This is uncomfortable and not funny. And then I laughed so hard in the final scene. I was just like, oh, my gosh. And so I really (laughs) enjoyed watching that. I watched Devs on Hulu, which if you're a person who doesn't like television, devs is the show for you because i can't tell you what the plot is without ruining the big twist and it is so cool to watch um i think it's the same person who did annihilation and and some of the like he it's it's just a really interesting visual show with unbelievable musical cues so that's been that's been fun um other than that you know i i I keep meaning to play some older game i have just like my my friend brian has yelled at me for like four years about playing dishonored i'm near the end but (laughs) it's really cool but i mean i just like i keep going back to the same games you know just because like i end up like oh i just want to play with my friends yeah no it's like comfort food yeah no it's absolutely comfort food well speaking of that it's early enough in the evening where you and i will still get to go partake in some comfort food in the rest (laughs) of the evening um I think we will probably touch in. I don't know when the next. We'll probably like. I like doing these surrounding your post just because I love talking about these old games, the specific highlights, because it really forces us to drill down and why the Mavericks were winning. Because you know, you, you mentioned Bob Bob Stroom's book. Uh, uh, this year will be different. I really wish one of us could get him on the pod because, gosh, is that book cool? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's some good stuff in Mavs 2011. Um, but it's it's just a different deal. Like his story really like has some really interesting like reporting aspects, which I didn't know was in his repertoire. Uh, mm-hmm. Look it up on uh, on Amazon Prime if you haven't got it or your Kindle or whatnot, because it's it's just a good book. Yep. Well, you got anything else before we get out of here? No, I think if we're if we're looking ahead, I think May fourth is the next game I'm going to watch. So maybe, I mean, maybe we'll do a podcast before then. But if not, probably maybe maybe look for it around then. I'm going to be doing game three uh against the thunder which is kind of a weird game well we have 63 seconds until our our conference software cuts us off so i'm gonna get out of here (laughs) all right let's go (laughs) all right well this has been fun kirk and josh mass moneyball after dark love you guys talk to you soon